So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, I'm Ollie Mann. Uh, I'm at home. Uh, I've got a Jaffa cake on the go. It's not just any Jaffa cake. It's a posh one from M&S. This is my new show. It's called The Modern Man. It's named after me. It's a bit vainglorious. I I think the time was right for me to have a show containing a stupid pun based around my name. And it's kind of a magazine show, I guess, is the idea. I've always really liked men's magazines, that mix of food and fashion and tech and trends. And I thought maybe maybe it would work as a podcast. So it's a bit of an ambitious aim, really. There's there's even a little bit at the end where we play a song. Um, <laughs> you know, this being the very, very first episode we've ever done, go gently on us. You may not think it all works brilliantly. Uh, I think it's going to grow and develop and get better, and I'm really excited about it. Actually, we had a trailer up last week, and I ended that trailer by saying very boldly uh, that we are the new no-bullshit show. Um, Because, you know, I don't want the show to have lots of sales spin in it. And someone tweeted me and said, did you say no bullshit or did you say no bullshit? And it occurred to me, actually, either label would work. Either you'll think we've succeeded in our aims and it is no bullshit, uh, or you'll at least, I hope, acknowledge that we're trying to do something new and it is a no bullshit. Uh, Okay, here goes. Uh, In today's episode, uh, you will find out how to film a panda, Uh, you will find out that crocodiles don't have palms, Uh, and you will also hear the sound of a plane taking off. Um, That is deliberate. We spent a lot of money on that special effect, uh, and it's nothing to do with the fact that we were recording the sex chat in a pub roof garden. By the way, don't ever record sex chat in a pub roof garden. A lot of business people will come up to you and say inappropriate things. Uh, oh, and you'll also find out what shibari is in this episode. Uh, it isn't that thing where you fold napkins to look like ducks. More's the pity. Uh, right, uh, ready? Uh, I'm going to go and put on my radio voice now for the intro. Right, let's fucking do this. On this week's Modern Man. If you're going to make a theatre, you have a choice between black, black and black. What the big screen experts can teach you about kitting out your home theatre. I had my air supply taken away from me, so I was completely dependent on the people around me. And our love guru dives deep into the blue lagoon of sex with mermaids. That's all to come on this week's Modern Man. We are going to kick off every episode of this exciting new venture with a feature I like to call the zeitgeist, uh, because I assume that Google haven't copyrighted that. Can't be sure, but we'll find out. And my man about town, who's going to tell me what the trends are, the things you need to know, is Mr. Ollie Peart. Hello. Hello, Ollie. Spelt differently yeah, to me. Th- thank you for addressing that elephant in the room immediately. Uh, <laughs> Ollie Peart, what are the things that are happening in the zeitgeist? Ollie, the internet has been losing its shit. Oh, right. Back to the Future Day. 21st of October 2015. It's last week. It was last week, yeah. Last week's news. And it was pointless. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I know people were excited about it. Yeah. Uh, being the day of the film that's in Back to the Future 2. But just that's annoying. It should have been called Back to the Future 2 Day. People were just getting really excited about, oh, what do they predict? You know, what, what, what what's actually like here now that yeah. they thought was going to be in the film? And it's things like flat screen TVs, mm. 3D movies and wearables and all this kind of stuff. And the other one was hoverboards. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Which segues me nicely onto what I want to talk about. Okay. And that is, have you seen what have been dubbed hoverboards? When you use the word segue me nicely, <laughs> is that a hint? Yes, it's a it's a massive hint. Depressingly, I'm aware of it because I saw Justin Bieber's Vine on the subject. But yeah, it's like a segue without the stalk. Yeah, exactly. You can, so, you can move forwards and backwards on a little roller skate platform thing. Well, I've had a go. So there's a bit of a debate whether or not they should be called hoverboards or not, because you're not hovering. No. You're just on two wheels standing there and you can go forwards. It's like it's slightly faster than walking. And you can't call it a stalkless segue because that's shit. No. And like Segway, as far as I get it, I know, like Segway's like a brand. It's like yeah. a, like Hoover. Yeah. People want to call them transporters. But they've been banned. They're illegal. Yeah. Well, they've been banned from pavements and roads in the UK. You can use you can only use them in private sort of domains, i.e. your driveway if you have one that's good i think well no hang on cause because wait. i was i was seeing people in shoreditch using them a little too much people crashing into each other you know you've got people walking around with zimmer frames and walking sticks a zimmer frame is probably marginally more dangerous it's marginally more essential <laughs> i'd argue <laughs> no but the law the law that says it's illegal was a law from Section 72 of the Highways Act, 1835. I even wrote it down. Wow. So actually, in Back to the Future 3, did Doc and Marty go back to 1835? Because I never made it my way through the film. Yeah. And rewrite the statute so that in 2015, when Back to the Future 2 happens, people can't use hoverboards. Is that what you're saying? Well, there's a possibility that that could have happened if it wasn't for the fact that it was a load of fiction. But potentially, they could be quite useful. I was in Marseille the other week, and there's this guy running around on one... Like, I mean, he was caning it. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. He could have easily have wiped out several kids. Mm-hmm. Like He was going so fast. But at the same time, you kind of think, actually, this is quite this is quite useful. It's quite nice. It takes up less room than a bike. He it's was, a really efficient way to get a full-on head and facial injury. No, I just think if you... It, <laughs> I just have think they could Proper traumatic good. injury to my forehead and nose. This is a great <laughs> way to do it. Now, I, I've ridden one. And it is weird. You like pivot with your feet, so you sort of like, and you do, you sort of like lean forward. I'm doing this now, yeah. And you just kind of go like that, and it is a weird sensation. You start, you start sort of like just moving forward. It's quite odd. I think the problem is we're broadcasting from a city where we still don't have cycle lanes. We're not really in a position where we're going to be looking at hoverboard lanes. It's not going to happen. So there's going to be <laughs> crashes, aren't there? Yeah, there's going to be lots of crashes. You're, you're probably right. It just seems a bit of a shame. But uh, I, I am annoyed that people call them hoverboards. I think that's my biggest qualm. So if there's a mission from today's zeitgeist, it's it's not only that people know that this is illegal and they shouldn't be riding them, but it's also that we need a new name for them. Yes. Send them in. At The Modern Man on Twitter. Twat sticks would be a good one, I think. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what people come up with. Okay. What other trends have caught your eye, Ollie Peart? More on transportation. Mm-hmm. Tesla. I heard not, of them. Not, yeah. yeah, not like the old guy that like, invented loads of electric stuff, but the cars. Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk, out of interest. Yeah. It sounds like a... Playground slang for a bad smell. <laughs> yeah, or I was going to say like an aftershave. Yes. Elon Musk. Yes, I can imagine. Well, he, or Teslas, now can drive autonomously. Okay, so they've actually released that as a software update, have they? They have released it as a software update. So if you bought a Tesla, I think it's sometime in 2014 to now, Yeah. 
you could download the software update for a cost of two and a half thousand dollars which sounds quite a lot but it means that on... think of all that money you've saved on petrol in the year you've been driving it <laughs> yes exactly exactly I'm, sh- I'm sure it makes up for yeah, it yeah yeah of course it does <laughs> your overpriced electric car yeah. but uh yeah you can then drive it on the motorway and whatnot and it will sort of sense sort of what's going on around you and it will drive autonomously it is law in New York State, if you have one of these cars, that you have to have your hands on the steering wheel, even though it's driving autonomously. Yeah. So what is the point? So what's the point? Yeah. And it's weird. And, and they well, it's, it's, I suppose it's cars for people that like technology, isn't it? So the people who are driving it just want to see that it could choose its own path. But if your hands are on the wheel, then you're not really experiencing that, are you? You're just sort of playing a weird yeah, game exactly. of chance. They've been uploading videos on YouTube of them using this automated feature. And every so often, oh, that it will just, well, yeah, it will just veer off and just sort of go off. And then they have to sort of grab onto the steering wheel before it sort of careers off into a bush. Yeah, but that's probably because they're spending more time filming themselves on YouTube driving an <laughs> autonomous car than they are thinking about what the autonomous car is doing. But it's like, it's, isn't it weird that you would... you would people really... would want to watch someone driving another car? Yes. I want to watch an autonomous car drive. Yeah, yeah, so do I, because it's a novelty now. But let's let's imagine 30 years hence. You're going to be watching live periscopes of someone driving? No. Would that really have been worth all this technological investment? No, but that's, that's the... Like, I, I, personally, I can't wait for autonomous cars to be a thing. I think it'd be great. I love the idea of getting into a car, pressing a button, and it taking me somewhere, and me not having to... Like, I can just sit there, have a sleep, or just basically get drunk i love the idea of getting drunk in a car yeah but you see the law would have to change wouldn't it because you'd still be drunk in charge of a vehicle wouldn't you at the moment at the moment i can't believe this is a show about trends and we're discussing the finer points of law (laughs) (laughs) well we might we might we might iron out the details i don't think anybody else has sat down and talked about it apparently not (laughs) all right do you have another trend that isn't about changes in regulation well uh and it's a scary one crocodiles oh yeah they can sleep with one eye open like the mafia. What? Can the it, mafia do it as well? I could be wrong. I'm sure I've heard that phrase in Hollywood films. No, He's they... sleeping with one eye open. No? Oh, was that racist? No, 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 no. It was a depiction of a classic mafia character which would have had an Italian-American accent in okay. an exaggerated way in a Hollywood style. But this is what I find weird about it. They've only just found this out. So, obviously not looking properly, are they? I mean, having mm. your eye open when you're asleep is quite a sort of... Quite distinct. I mean, you could... Yeah. I've got my. I've clearly got my eye open. I know this is probably not very good for a podcast, yeah, but I'm covering one eye. Listeners, he's covering one eye to demonstrate how easy it is to determine when or when not he's got his palm in front of his eye. There I don't is think this. a crocodile's doing that. No, I appreciate that. They don't have palms yeah. or hands. No. Or they've just got like weird little lizard yeah. legs. I think a crocodile is harder to determine whether their eyes are open or closed. How? Well, you don't want to get too close for a start, do you? No, well, some people... I've seen videos on the internet. People get very close, so close, they end up inside... Yeah. the crocodile yeah. so they must be do you know what I mean but it just seems weird that it's, a, it's like a recent discovery like I could appreciate like a recent discovery of, of some mad star that's sat in the solar system or that asteroid that almost hit Earth the other day or whatever but a crocodile with one eye open also it's incredibly scary and it's weird but I'd also quite like that skill uh, there's going to be links to all of Ollie's zeitgeist trends on our website modernman.co.uk and if people uh, see something that they think you might like to bring up in future episodes they can tweet you Yes, they can. At uh, Ollie, spelt wrong. At Ollie EP, O-L-L-I-E-E-P. Okay. Because so you... my middle initial is E. Okay. And my last initial is P. Coming up next, I'll be getting down and dirty with our love guru, Alex Fox. But first, the cinematic boner that is IMAX. Uh, if you're like me, whenever there is a mindless movie spectacular 
hitting the big screen near you, then you want to go and see it on the biggest screen possible. And and now there are actually IMAX screens within a drive of where I live, uh, and I can go and watch my films there, even though it does cost about 20 quid. Uh, For example, I went to see Jurassic World at the BFI IMAX cinema on the South Bank in London. Uh, There are two delights to be had if ever you visit that. Uh, One, the slightly awkward teenage ticket terror giving a half-assed pre-show pep talk about fire exits and two having a t-rex scream right in your bloody face at the crescendo of the film it was the best thing hovering in mid-air in a cinema since kate winslet's tit in titanic 3d uh, and when i was watching that i couldn't imagine that any movie theater in the world need ever be any bigger And yet, 45 years after IMAX began rolling out their screens, they're actually bringing in more locations and screens that are bigger still. So I met up with their CTO, Brian Bonnick. He's the tech guy who designs IMAX cinemas. And I also met their European head honcho, Andrew Cripps, to ask them that classic male preoccupation, is bigger always better? And also, what can we learn from how IMAX build their theatres that we can emulate in our home entertainment setups? Because sometimes you just want to Netflix and chill. I didn't do that with them. Welcome to IMAX, the world's most immersive movie experience. Powered by it's really all about the field of view, filling your peripheral vision. So if you think of your TV at home that might be, say, four feet wide, if you've got your nose six inches from it, That's a very big, wide field of view. Similarly with an IMAX screen, we manage all of our theaters so that every theater screen from a field of view, filling your peripheral vision, is the same or very close. So it's got less to do with how wide the screen is. It has to do with the relationship of you to that screen. So what is the biggest one in the world and can they get bigger then? I think the biggest one that we have at the moment is the one in Darling Harbour in Sydney, which I think from memory is 108 feet. I think we're 118, I thought. But it's big. That's all you need to know. Wow, what's 10 feet between friends? That's right. (laughs) Can it get bigger then? Yeah, our, our laser system has the technology to get well over 125 feet wide. That's pretty big. So you guys spend a lot of time thinking about what makes the perfect experience in a cinema. A lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about how to replicate a cinema experience at home. What's your home entertainment setup? Well, I've got a very cheap home entertainment experience. So I've got a 62-inch plasma and, uh, you know, some surround sound speakers. But when there's a big movie, I like to go out. So I like to go out and see something on an 80-foot screen. The, The event movies, you know, I'm like the average consumer, I think. I want to see it in the best possible environment. And yet you can actually pay, can't you, to have an IMAX screen built in your home? You certainly can. Yes, you can. How how much money do you need in the bank to achieve that? Um, Well, my running joke is always telling people, if you give me $3 million, uh, that'll get you your home theater. Another $3 million, I'll get you a house to put it in. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's it's, it's not cheap. But again, it's, it's really intended for high net worth clients. So there are, I presume, Hollywood producers and directors out there who have spent $3 million getting an IMAX screen at home. There are some. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. The most I hear about IMAX over the last year is from Christopher Nolan, because he bloody loves IMAX. Why? Chris has been a huge fan. He loves the film format. He loves shooting. He was the first director that actually shot a commercial film with the uh, IMAX film cameras. He loves the image that comes out of it, and he's always pushing the boundary further and further every time he comes out with a new movie. He's also very much a film technical expert, 
in that he really understands how to capture content from a technical perspective. And that's where I think IMAX has formulated a very good bond with him and that we're quite willing to do whatever we can technically to enhance the experience, which ultimately, you know, makes his story more realistic and what have you. So it's not just a press spin that if you went to see one of the Dark Knight movies or if you went to see Interstellar, you were seeing things that were completely innovated and being delivered for the first time ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you think of the Dark Knight, it's a dark movie in terms of contrast. And one of the things IMAX is known for is having very high contrast. Chris Nolan knows that, and he takes advantage of that in, in creating his craft. Yeah. Now, film geeks talk a lot about contrast. It's probably something that audiences don't. I've never been to the cinema and said, oh, the blacks on that were so deep. Uh, but you've just spent millions of dollars. $60 You're, million dollars 60 in research million, and development. $60 million on research and development of uh, IMAX with laser, which sounds like something Dr. Evil would concoct. Tell us what the innovation is and why that's necessary. Well, I think contrast is only one part of it. So contrast is a benefit that I, I do think consumers will see it. If they go see a movie like Gravity, you're going to see, you know, space the way it was intended and the way it is in real life. It's really black. And as a consumer, I think you're going to pick that up. But I think, you know, more importantly, there are other advantages that laser bring to it. So we use two laser projectors. We put a huge amount of light on the screen so that when you've got a 3D movie, you can't really tell the difference between, you know, the, the light on screen for a 2D trailer and a 3D trailer. And that's where... I think the industry has had issues in the past with uh, with a number of 3D movies. You know, there's not been enough light on screen. Probably the wrong movies have been put into 3D. So I think there's been this stigma associated with 3D for several years in the marketplace. And hopefully, you know, this technology will help overcome that. Now, you were talking about reasons to go out and watch a big event movie. And that's kind of the nub of the issue for all cinema operators, isn't it? The home growth of home entertainment, particularly with Netflix and stuff, has been so exponential in the past few years that actually you need a reason to go out. Is that part of the strategy of why we're seeing more and more IMAX screens popping up about the place? Because when I was a kid, it was in the Science Museum. Now it's in Basildon. Well, the good news is consumers are seeing more movies today than at any time in history. They're just seeing it on a huge variety of different platforms, right? So movie going is endemic in the culture. People love movies. They love talking about movies. So that's the good news. You know, the not so good news if you're operating a theater is, yes, a lot of those environments that you can see a movie are in the home. You've got to make the theater going experience that much more special. And I think that's where IMAX comes into play. The people will travel long distances to go to the theater in Basildon from surrounding areas because they know that's the best possible environment to see the movie in. And what goes into those theater designs as well that's different from a typical multiplex cinema? Oh, it's, it's, it's per, literally purpose-built designed for the venue. So the, we worry about as simplistic things as how does sound reverberate in that theater. But again, are there lessons there that you could implement at home? Yeah, I mean, as we said, uh, if we had our choice, if you're going to make a theater, you have a choice between black, black, and black. And the main reason there is if the ambient environment is all black, you have no reflections that are going to detract from the image on screen. So you've, you've just made an interesting comment about some of the rival cinemas in London that aren't IMAX. I'm thinking about the Odeon Leicester Square here. I believe there are leopard skin seats in there. That wouldn't work so well for a cinema going... Either. It's not our first choice. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't think about the interiors. They think if you make the interior bling and the screen big, that's all you need to worry about. But at the end of the day, when the lights go out, people aren't seeing the color of the interior anyway. So I think, you know, you should do everything in the design process to make the image on screen as, as good as possible. And you think about things like even the reflection of the emergency exit signs. Absolutely. If they are, are, are relatively bright, they can degrade the quality of the image in terms of your blacks. It'll, your, your blacks will no longer be black, black, but they'll be sort of a, a dark shade of gray. 
Even the lights on the stairs leading up uh, up the aisle, it's the way they're angled. So if they're angled, you know, towards the screen and there's light reflecting on the screen, or if they're angled down so the light's not reflecting on the screen, it makes a big difference. I mean, a really simple example is with our laser product in the booth. There's operators in there. There could be lights on in the booth or even light coming off the projector and bouncing back off the window. So we've put a bellows on the lens that blocks any light from the room getting out into the theater. It's a subtle little thing, but when you do a lot of these subtle little improvements, you end up with a big gain. And is there, and you can answer me this honestly, Brian, and don't just say anywhere, is there a best place to be sitting when you go to an IMAX cinema? Because to me, it seems the sweet spot is about three rows from the back. I like the middle. Legroom dependent, but uh, I like to be as close to the centre as I can. Is there anyone who likes the front? Because it's quite overwhelming. Everybody's a little, particularly with 3D, everybody's perception of 3D is a little bit different. Some people can be very susceptible to 3D and and get a a, a nauseous. This is not very many. It's very few, but some can be. I don't know how these films are made, but I'm fascinated by the size of the cameras and stuff. When I imagine a behind-the-scenes process for an IMAX movie, I I imagine that footage of George Lucas and Michael Jackson making Captain EO from about 30 years ago. And I've no idea what it looks like now. But you're making nature documentaries. Now, I can't imagine that when you're trying to film a panda or a chimp, you can put a massive fuck-off camera down in the middle of the forest and film them. It's going to scare them. So how do you innovate in that space? Well, the cameras have shrunk in size, haven't they? I mean, we've got the original IMAX film cameras that were big, bulky. Filmmakers love the image that come out of them, but they're not the easiest thing to move around and use. And, you know, they're not they're not nimble. But, you know, the new cameras that we're working with are much lighter weight, um, digital, um, you know, much more flexible. And so you can leave it in the middle of a forest and hope to capture some footage? Oh, absolutely. In effect, our, our new 3D digital camera has a capacity where it's always recording. So if you're wanting to watch animals, um, you don't know when they're about to do whatever it is they're going to do. So it's, it's sort of recording over itself. So when I push the start button, I've already got 30 seconds or so that's already been recorded, which is a great feature to have. But they're also now, I mean, they're the size of uh, you know, a briefcase as such, a little bit bigger than a briefcase. They're not that big now. Wow. And the pandas have no idea how much uh, value in uh, IMAX camera they could run away with. Uh, if well, they that's true. I don't know if we not. just leave it in the forest. <laughs> I presume Morgan Freeman is there live as well doing the voice track. Yes. Yeah. Um, so IMAX has been around for 45 years plus. In 45 years' time, what are we going to expect from the cinema of the future? What are the problems you're still trying to solve at the moment? That's actually a good question. 45 years from now, I think it's probably going to be a holographic experience. You you won't have 3D glasses. Uh, You'll be enveloped uh, and actually probably be interacting in the movie, if, if I thought about 45 years from now. The way technology has grown literally over the last 10 years since digital has come to the motion picture industry, uh, 45 years is a very, very long period. A lot's going to take place. But James Cameron will still probably be making films that take 30 years to make. Probably. (laughs) Let's hope so. He makes great movies. He'll find a way to cryogenically freeze his brains and keep doing that. Coming up next, sex. Well, we've nearly reached the end of the show, but wait, there really is more. Uh, joining me now, sexpert Alex Fox. Hello, Alex. Hello. Hello, my darling. We don't have a name for this section of the show. Originally, I was thinking it could be called The Modern Man Errs, but that would be more about sexual etiquette. Mannerisms, managerisms. No, no, no. What, what you think of orgasm puns there? Got to be a sexy name for a the sex bit. A sexy name. Um, the Foxhole? 
<laughs> That's so, good. Talking about holes and okay. things that go in them All right, with well, me, Alex for, Fox. For now, we'll call How it the Fox Hole. <laughs> okay. Uh, if, if you listening think you can do better uh, when it comes to uh, pun-based names for this sex bit of the show, uh, do contact us, modernman.co.uk. There's a feedback button there. So, this is the Fox Hole, uh, and <laughs> Alex Fox is a sex pert. I actually never like to call myself a sex pert, oh, because shit. I think by calling yourself a sex pert... You suggest that you are an expert on all things sexual. You're mm. like an encyclopedia of it. Whereas sex is something that you're constantly learning about. It should be an evolution in your own lifetime, including in my, in my own. Okay, well that, that sets us up well, because actually what we're going to be looking for f- from this point onwards is, is your questions. So if you have, I was going to say sex problem, that's very pejorative, isn't it? A sex musing. A se- sex yeah, wondering. A sex thought. Ask me. Then you can ask Alex in future editions. If something's on your mind to well, do with your behind yeah. or your front let's talk about your life then because you know people I think before they get advice from any kind of agony aren't like to know a bit about them that's sort of how it works isn't it share and share alike well I primarily work as a journalist I've been a journalist for a decade now um, I started off my big break was helping to edit an alternative culture magazine called Bizarre. Yeah, now if you're listening, this is uh, Bizarre as in B-I-Z. B-I, yes. not B-A. Not, I've got a lot of confused calls from the PRs one, about golf Harpers carts. and Bizarre, yeah. yeah. That's different. <laughs> yeah. So I worked at Bizarre I for... I bet Harper's and Bizarre, by the way, in, in a strange sort of way, is more sexy than Bizarre. There are some very high-class, glamorous swingers parties that go on exactly. that I know are attended by subscribers to Harper's. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, alternative lifestyle magazine, Bizarre. You were right yes, for that. Yes, I was there for six years. We wrote about all sorts of things, uh, crazy body modifications, weird tattoos, unusual religions, but we also wrote a heck of a lot about, let's say, fringe sex. And it fell to me to investigate a lot of these fetishes and practices. Uh, And in particular, I made a name for myself by um, actually going along to unusual sex clubs and meeting these people. And try, yeah, I did. It was a little bit through. What's the most extreme or uncomfortable situation you found yourself in? The weirdest thing that I ever looked into for Bizarre was probably underwater bondage. Right. This article involved me dressing up as a mermaid. Uh, in a costume which bound my legs together in a kind of uh, lurex tail. It was like a shiny, shimmery outfit that had lead weights in it. I was then given a scuba diving kit, taken to the bottom of a swimming pool and tied up by an expert in Japanese rope bondage. The official name for it is shibari, so he was a shibari expert. Uh, And then, just to make, make my already perilous situation even more petrifying particularly for my mother, who wasn't there, I hasten to add, but she read about it later, uh, and for, indeed, the insurance company involved. Um, I had my air supply taken away from me, so I was completely dependent on the people around me who were doing the tying and looking after me to give me oxygen when I gave them a signal by nodding my head from side to side, which at that point was the only point, point of my body that I could move. And you were investigating this... For the people who are into that on a, I was going to say regular basis, I imagine something on that scale, something you can only dip into. Uh, but for Ooh, the people who there's a pun, <laughs> see, you can do the puns too. Uh, the people who do it regularly-ish, where's the th- thrill? Is that in uh, sublimation and, and not being in control, or is it for the people who are controlling the mermaid? Both. Right. Underwater bondage is one of the most extreme ways that you can relinquish control entirely to another person. You are literally risking your life. So if you're a submissive person, 
then the thrill for you is that your your very existence is entirely in the hands of somebody else. You have completely relinquished your ability to make choices at, at that point. And for the person who's doing the tying, the dominant person who's in control, they have literally got somebody's life in the palm of their hands. Which and it all takes place underwater, so there's that element of, you know, of surrealism and acting out a fantasy and it being totally and utterly at odds with everyday life. But here's the thing that there isn't. There isn't, as far as I can tell, ejaculation. <laughs> Is there? No, no stimulation takes place. No genital stimulation of, 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 of a t- what many people would associate with being a typical sex act. But a lot of bondage doesn't involve the genitals whatsoever. The, 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 the pleasure is purely in the tying up or the, the restraining of somebody and the dominating of them. It may involve spanking or flogging or things like that, you know, experimentation with pain and sensation. But it often doesn't go anywhere near your squelchy bits. Yeah, because, I mean, often when people fantasise about mermaids, you know, from cartoons and imagery along the years, when people fancy Ariel, for example... You don't have access to any holes, do you? So, like, if it was um, bottom half of a woman, top half of a fish, that might be less visually attractive than Ariel, um, but there'd be somewhere to put your wang-dang-doodle hammer. As it is, um, part of the attraction, it seems to me, is that you can't be sexually fulfilled, arguably, with a, with a mermaid. I would argue that there is a fairly well-known hole in the middle of a woman's face, which would still be accessible were you a mermaid. I don't know what you're talking about. The left nostril. Okay, so we, we've covered the, uh, the fringe aspects of sexuality that indeed may well come up thanks to your questions. I wouldn't be at all surprised if a lot of the questions we get aren't weird fetishes at all. It's literally just, I don't like oral sex, or I do want to do anal sex, and how do I talk to my partner about that? Which is the stuff, I think, uh, that people do want to know and don't have anyone to ask. Don't, don't try the oral sex after the anal sex without washing thoroughly. <laughs> That's a good tip. Okay, if you've got a question for Alex, you need to head right now to modernman.co.uk Uh, hit the button that says feedback you can enter a web form there and you can choose whether or not you want to give your email address you can remain completely confidential if you like but Alex will be answering your questions on future editions of the show I will utterly respect the privacy of anybody who contacts us and wishes to remain anonymous as well so whatever your question whatever you're musing whatever you're thinking about please don't hold back Mm. get in touch and we'll try and, and give an A to your cue Alex I'll see you next week Lovely to speak to you, my darling. It's been a pleasure spending some time in the foxhole. Well, that is it for this first ever edition of The Modern Man. I think you'll agree with me that that was a historic occasion you will be telling your grandchildren about. If you want to come back and listen to next week's show, it's even easier if you subscribe. If you're on iTunes, we're at itunes.com slash man, M-A-N-N. And whilst you're there, why not leave us a review if you like the show? If you didn't, please keep your mouth shut. I'd really appreciate that. If you want to tell your friends on Twitter, use the hashtag modernman. If you want to follow me on Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash ollieman. If you want to send us a question, a sex question for Alex, or just feedback to the show generally, or if you want to buy us a beer, all the links to do that are at modernman.co.uk. Our gorgeous theme music is by Django Django from their self-titled first album out on Because Records. And this is the current favourite here at the Modern Man headquarters. It is by Van Goffey and it's called Trials of a Modern Man. It is out on November the 9th on Distiller Records, Trials of a Modern Man. My producer is Mr Matt Hill and we will see you next Tuesday.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.